0: 2 Peter chapter 3, we're in verse 8, in verse 8, so we are drawing uh, really close to the end of this uh, study of 2 of Peter that's lasted now several years, and uh, the Lord has blessed us through this, I believe, and I believe there's a blessing yet to come today. Um, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Peter writes, but do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to come and study your word. I pray, Father God, that I will preach this rightly. Give me the right heart to do this. God, I pray for that today, Father God. I know, Lord, that that my own um, intellect, Father God, the work I put into this, the prayer, everything is incomplete, Father God. It's. God, if if I had just simply been led by by so many positive forces, Father God, I still today would arrive at this place um, deeply wanting, Father God. There's no way that this sermon is successful by, by your standards, Father God, in which I can preach it, Lord, in a way that brings honor and glory to you, God, that brings comfort to the church, Father God, direction to the aimless, Father God, and that brings those who are lost in, Father God, to the marvelous light of of uh, Of the Word of Jesus Christ, father God, there 's no way that can be done, God without you, so I 'll pray for that today, Lord. I thank you God for the direction of this book. I thank you, Father God, for the for the laser focus, Father God, that it has now on the times that are yet to come. Father, we can 't study through this and be caught, God, just in the in the in the miasma, father God, of daily life it can 't be that way, God. We've got to see more clearly now than ever. If we're the church, Father God, we have to realize exactly, um, God, that, that you come soon. That you don't tarry, Father God, by any definition of it for us, Father God. That you're not late, God. But that when the time comes, Father God, that, that we must all be ready. And that we must preach a gospel, God, of readiness. A gospel in which men and women, God, realize that they have, uh, have so little time. And that today is the day of repentance, Father God. So please, Father God, bless me that I can preach this today, Father. I thank you for, for doing this, Father God. I thank you for leading this. And I pray, Father God, that I will preach this, God, in a way, Lord, that brings ultimate glory to the living God. We pray, God, to you now in the name of Christ Jesus, Lord. Um, the Son of God, Father God, who takes away the sins of the world. We love you, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Now. As I as I worked my way through this, I just was have become more and more convinced that while it is the right direction, that that it, it grows in its difficulty. So let me stop for a second and and just please give me uh, a few minutes to explain. Uh, first off, Peter said, writes this. He says, "But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years." A, And a thousand years is one day. Now, that's a verse that's applied um, so often throughout the Scriptures. Oftentimes mistakenly applied. Uh, One example that that immediately occurs to me, and I've preached through this before, and I might even be called to do this again, but when you look just at creation, there's something called the day-age theory that builds on this idea that, that each of those days of creation is actually a much Longer period of time. It's a way of squeezing out of the creation story uh, a longer period. So I guess it makes more sense to human ears. The simple reality is this is that's not an apt application. It's just simply not what God's talking about right here. It's not. Um, it's very clear from the text in Genesis that uh, that Hebrew word that refers today refers to a 24-hour day. It just does. It would be to malign, to twist the Scriptures beyond its rational understanding to say that that is true. It's just simply not. So, uh, And I'm not going to talk specifically about that, but I will say when it comes to just looking at the creation of the world, you have two options. The earth is either much, much, much younger than, than a lot of people would think, or B, we, have, we are misunderstanding the passage. There's the only two options. Either the earth is young or it's not. But you can't have your cake, you need it too, and you can't use a thousand years from God's perspective to justify um, expanding that time period. Because there are those in the world who do this. This does speak specifically, though, about who God is. About you know, the basic characteristics of the triune God. And I'm going to do my best to explain this. <coughs> I think I've done it before, geometrically speaking, in the most simple of geometry. Lines. We as humanity, I am a ray. I have a very definite beginning, marked by a dot. But yet I have an arrow on the other end, don't I? Which indicates what? That I go on and on and on, without definition, right? Right? There was a time in which we were not. Each and every one of us are a unique creation of the living God. You weren't plucked out of some cloud of souls. At one time you did not exist, and then you did, you exist now, and you will forever in some form exist. Forever. After that. God is a line. He's an arrow on both ends. He is infinite in both directions. He will exist forever, infinitely. And there's never a time, not a moment in existence in which God was not already ancient. He has been forever. He is the infinite God. He is not of time and space. He is not linear in His nature, in His understanding of time. He's just not. God is beyond all that. God created time. There was a time in which there was no time, for lack of a better term. Look, independent of the aspect of creation called time, the Lord existentially views the world without the constraints of the linear. In old school computing terminology, those people who are techies, I have have two. Awesome. Random access. He's not serial. You have to scroll through everything to see it, right? We're serial, right? I began at one point. It's so funny to talk about history, Brother Kyle, with really young people. Because you start talking about stuff. As you get to Vietnam, I remember it. Talk about like the, the, the attempted assassination of President Reagan. I saw it on TV. I was old enough to really know what was going on. I was a high school kid. I got it. But I had to live through all the moments before that. My ray began in 1968 and when that got around to 1980 I understood it because, I was, because I'd, I'd been through all the things leading up to that. God's not serial in His understanding of the world. God sees it all together. He's not oppressed by time that we, we are oppressed by time. Time's always a matter, isn't it? Hey, for... I'm nowhere near the oldest person in this room. But for those of us who are either, shall we say, shiny on top or snow on the mountain, you know what I mean, where'd it go? It's not just that you remember being a girl or a boy. In some aspect, it feels like it was yesterday, right? Right? We talked Beverly the other day. Rudolph talked, telling all those stories, right, about his childhood. He doesn't struggle to remember them, does he? He tells them like they were yesterday. They were not yesterday, (laughs) and not even anywhere near yesterday. But he remembers them like that, don't you, brother? Like that yesterday. Isn't Isn't that amazing? Within his form dwells a man well into his 90s, but the memories of a boy. Times like that. You just look up and it's gone. What you thought would never get here. Your 16th birthday, your 18th, your 21st. For many of us, it was decades and decades and decades ago. We thought it would never happen. Now, where did all that time go? Just washed away. Gone. Hey, with so little to show for it sometimes, right? Memories and family and things like that. I just thought the other day, as I was preparing to think about this idea, I thought, my goodness gracious, alive, guys. I can't name all the cars I've owned. None of them were memorable except in their terribleness. Except in the frequency of breakdowns. I can't remember them all. I started buying them so early, and I was continuing I don't know all of them. If you told me I owned one, I would probably tell you were a liar, and I may very well have owned that car. I just don't remember. So little to show for it, right? So much money. Spent on so many things. And most of it just thrown in the trash. That's the way we count our days, right? Look, because the Lord doesn't see the world the way we do, it makes Him overwhelmingly merciful. Because He doesn't feel that uneasiness of wasted time. He doesn't feel that anxiety that comes with the ticking of the clock. Because at one point in our lives, younger people, you wanted it to tick faster so you could get somewhere, right? And at some point in your life, it turns in the opposite direction, doesn't it? You wish it'd slow down just a little bit. The years seem to fly by as you get older, don't they? As you have fewer of them to go, it feels like it takes less time for them to just pass. Christmas, and then all of a sudden it's Christmas again. There's just no space in between. And when I was a boy, it felt like it took forever to get to Christmas. The night of Christmas Eve felt like a million years. And now the days just fly by. Look, unlike ourselves who feel neither the drip or the rush of the clock, God sees the beginning and end as one occurrence. The everlasting God has a far different perspective on time than do mortal humans. The psalmist explains in Psalm 90 verse 4 that for a thousand years in your sight, but as yesterday, when it is past, there is a watch in the night. A thousand years is like eight, which would be the length of the watch. Like eight hours. In contrast, we could not be more different from our Lord, the unending immortality of God emanates from the fact that He has no beginning and no end. There's never been a nanosecond which He has never been, which He was not already infinitely ancient. It's given our Lord a perspective that men and women simply can't understand. So all we talk about today is philosophical in its nature. I don't get it. I accept it intellectually but I don't know it because I'm not like Him. I don't know what it's like. To not have time rule me. I won't be caught in the sin of wasting time. And for God, time is nothing. It's it's a resource He made. It's a construct He gave us. I don't know what it means. But I know that it forms who He is. But let's talk about us. All humanity struggles with the impending reality of death. See, if we weren't going to die at the end of our time, it wouldn't be a problem. We wouldn't care. You've got a year left, or 10 years, or 20, or 30, it would be nothing to you. But the fact is that when your time runs out, you run out there's the difficulty, there's the rub there's the problem and as I prayed to this I wanted to do this not in my usual really passionate kind of animated form because I realized that A, it's probably annoying when I do that and B, it may be a little intimidating if I get too worked up about it so I wanted to share this in as quiet a fashion as possible but there's, there's something I don't need to jump up and down about you know that to be true so much, so much of the instruction that's offered in the church comes in a form of how to live for Christ in an effective and evangelistic way. And I'm not going to talk preaching about that. We need to preach about sin and we need to preach about devotion. And we need to preach about, about, about gospel witness. We need to preach about those things. We've got to do those things. They're the antidote to the problem we're talking about today. But I think we also need to take some time and talk about, about how things really are. Why, are. why are all those issues so important? More must be said about how to die with the dignity and the grace that is the inheritance of the faithful believer. If death is coming for everybody, then being ready for death ought to be of highest priority, shouldn't it? If every one of us will someday die, then we need to know what it means to die the right way. John Owen explained, we cannot enjoy peace in this world unless we are ready to yield to the will of God in respect of death. Our times are in His hand, at His sovereign disposal. We must accept that as best. One of the first aspects of our life that we have to really embrace is that God is sovereign over all of it. That all that time... In my life, I have struggled to bring my will to fruition. I now have to admit that I never had much will to start with. I had an abundance of will for doing evil. I had no will for doing good. To do good, I must have the sovereign help of God. For any hope of doing good. Owen's implications that if people do not submit the reality of our demise to the wisdom and generosity of the Lord, then we will be forever cautious and crippled by the fear of the natural process of death, of expiration, of dying. What Owen says is, once I embrace the fact that my death is in the hands of God, I'm not going to worry about it anymore. As long as I'm trying to do things my way for my own good that I define, there's always going to be that stress. There's always going to be that feeling that I'm just not going to be good enough. That rush of trying to complete something massive and not have the time to do it. I'm always going to be that man that dreams of building the new storehouses, but then finds out that that night... My soul is required of me. I can make my life worthwhile if I had one more day. But I'm not going to get that day. If I had another year. If I had more time. I'm always going to be the prisoner of time. But when I surrender my death to God, I'm no longer a prisoner of death. The Scriptures constantly remind humanity of the impermanence of life and the necessity of clarity in final manners. We better be clear about what's happening to us. Psalm David, Psalmist David, he writes in Psalm 39, verse 5, Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. What are we? Breath. Cloud. Vapor. Smoke rising that dissipates soon. The greatest conflagration, raging inferno you've ever seen. Given enough time, with all that smoke, it was as if it never existed, right? It was gone. That's who we are, gone. No matter how much good we do, no matter how many problems we cause, no matter how much our life, uh, our life glorifies God or our life personifies evil, when it's gone, it's just gone. As humans, we are imperfect creatures whose lives are but a stray mark on the history of the world. Literally, we are here and vibrant today and then sorrowfully gone without warning or opportunity for any sort of reprieve. When it comes, it just comes. Some people, some people know someone very famous passed away today just announcing who it was. Bobby Powden, 91 years old, uh, the, uh, the very famous football coach at Florida State University. I lived in Florida. One of our first places to live for me and my wife were in Florida. And and the Bobby Bowden show felt like it was on every day of the week. Seemed like a pretty nice old man. But he had pancreatic cancer. And he passed away from pancreatic cancer. So now for Bobby, he got some heads up. He knew it was coming. He knew. Not all of us are as fortunate as that, are we? The writer James reminds us in James 4.14 that yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What would James say? Deal with fi- final matters right now because you're a mist. You think you're permanent but you're going to be blown away any instant. Don't depend On time. Many believers can be confused about this issue because our instinctive response is to aggressively defend our lives, even if we waste our final moments and the opportunities they bring. I have have been with people in the end that, even though it was the end, Would not accept that it was the end. Just would not. Could not accept that it was the end. And through a great deal of urging and a great deal of prayer, they finally realized, this is what you're talking about. Our instinct is to reject this. God's wisdom is to embrace it. Embrace your mortality. The healthiest thing you can do is embrace the fact that one of these days you won't be. My own father, whom I dearly loved, thought he would live forever and ever and ever, and made no plans for death. None at all. What a tragedy. Be prepared for the inevitable because it is inevitable. Many believers can be confused because we defend our lives, even if we waste our time. The Word of God in Psalm seventy-eight, thirty-nine reminds the believer that we are but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. Despite all our groanings, folks, all our fears, our sorrows, our anxieties, human beings are fearfully and wonderfully made but we are not made to last because of sin. The fall of man created out of whole cloth the deterioration of the human form and a seemingly constant state of death on this planet. If we are unhappy with the state of affairs, it is only our fault. The world was not so created. Humanity fell we've created in the image of God for the glory of God, we chose rebellion and sin. And I can't even look back to Adam, the father of death among all men, because I would have chosen equally poorly. Because we have all chosen to sin, haven't we? We've all lived up to the legacy of death. Not a single one of us, not even our youngest children, have lived up to anything but a legacy of death. created at one time to live nearly one thousand years humanity now resides only briefly upon the earth that was created for our dominion throughout the Old Testament the implications of the transience of mankind are stated in Psalm 102 verse 3 the psalmist proclaims the painfulness of his own corporality, his death when he writes, for my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace Describes literally the act of dying. As we go closer to that moment, that time when death will overtake us, we are uniquely aware of the fact that our demise resides in our bodies, in the very bones of our human form. Death is in us. It's not outside of us. It's not something done to us. It is something that is struggling to come out of us. The most charmed life still produces Death. The most charmed one. Anybody remember who Jim Fix was? He was the jogger, right? Started the jogging craze in the 70s. How did he die? Of a heart attack while jogging in Central Park. Just fell over dead. Do you know why? Because human beings die. We can take everything, we can do everything we want to, and we'll never avoid that one fact. I run all the time. You've seen me do it. It won't lengthen my life one moment. I do it because I like it. I do it because it's fun. But it won't make me live longer because I will live exactly as long as my Lord has decided I would live. Look, death is not just around us in the days of COVID-19. But death is inside us, hardwired into our DNA. We can't stop from dying. Similarly, the psalmist speaks of the whole human race when he writes in Psalm 144, verse 4. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. I know you're you're noticing the theme, right? Over and over again, we're here one minute, we're gone the next. It's shattering the human psyche when we realize that despite our beauty, not me, our intelligence, not me either. my our ability, not me what that is. I don't want to contribute to all of that. Some of you are fantastically intelligent and good looking. And talented. Not me. We will someday fade away. Burn out like a stray spark. Or be quenched like a smoldering ember. The life of the human being passes without notice. And the prophet makes this point in Isaiah 2 verse 22, that humans should stop regarding man in whose nostril is breath. For of what account is he? How much are people worth? Well, not much. Not much at all. Now look, Augustine. In many ways, he's the father of our faith in Christ. In fact, one of those terms we might use for ourselves are Augustinian Christians. I'm an Augustinian. Many of us would, if you didn't even know what it is, would come to find out you're Augustinian. He reminds the mortal world when he writes, They then, who are destined to die, need not be careful to inquire what death they are to die, but into what place death will usher them. See, the problem with death is not the way the world might paint it, that death just ends in nothingness. Because that's the way the world thinks of it. It's the only safe place. If You're going to reject not just an imminent God, but an apparent God, right? Romans 1 is abundantly clear that everything you need to know about God is painfully obvious. If you refuse it, you're refusing it because you just don't want that God. You don't want Him to tell you what to do. You don't want to live a life that He would dictate. You want to dictate your own life. You want to be your own God. The problem is... Your heart is so aware of the the limitations of who you are and the glory of Him, it just simply isn't that blind. You have to suppress the truth with unrighteousness. So, so, you know, despite all of those things, what we must understand today is that when death comes, it does not bring a nihilistic end, a destruction of the human soul. What it brings is a transition to somewhere else. There's something after death. I said we're not a we're not a line segment. We're a ray. We have a definite beginning. We have no end to our soul. It goes on. Forever and ever and ever. He can't be destroyed. First, as believers, we're reminded of the futility of worry. First of all, we're not we're not to worry about our earthly lives. Christ spoke in Matthew 6, verse 27. He said, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I.e., nobody. Not a one of you. No matter how sick or how well, no matter how germophobic or the opposite, whatever that is, dirty, I guess. No, filthy. No matter how careful, it's matter. Sure, keeping yourself clean might keep you from sickness along the way, but it's not going to make you live a minute longer, not a second longer. Anxiety and fear will kill the mind and hamper the will, but they cannot extend your life for an instant. No matter how how worried you are about living longer, you're not going to live any longer. The Lord reminds us through the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 9, verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, it's an appointment. You will live exactly as long as God intends for you to live. Not one second less or more. Now, I think I've explained this to you guys because I've been at so many bedsides. I don't glory in it, but many times I'm thankful that I get to be there with someone to the very end of their life. What do you do? You watch them breathe. For a long time, you just sit there and watch somebody breathe. And it occurred to me years and years ago that those breaths were numbered. There were just as many as there. If there were 150,000, I don't know how many breaths you take in a lifetime. I have a clue. Somebody's probably counted this. I don't know, but there's 150,000. There's not going to be one more or one less. There's exactly as many as God intends. I can't even try to mess that up there will be exactly as many as God intends. It's like the seconds of a life, exactly as many as God intends. Not one more, one less. God is completely in control of that. Despite all our fretting, the future's set, the appointment has been made. As created beings in a world of absolute sovereignty, we must understand that our lives are ordered by the purposes of God. I can embrace it if I want to. I can rebel against it all day long. Beat your head against it. It doesn't make any difference. God is sovereign over all of this. A sparrow doesn't fall out of the sky, that He doesn't will it. And what does He say? And you are more important than the sparrows. He's not saying that to terrorize us, He's saying that to bring ease to our hearts. If God cares about the sparrows, how much does He care about those for whom He died? How precious are you in His sight? That even if death comes for you today, it's not because He hates you, it's because He loves you. Why did those patriarchs live a thousand years and now we just live 70? God didn't want His precious people living a thousand years on a sinful earth. He brought us death because it was merciful and it was loving. And we would soon be free of the problems of this world. The day of our death is unknown to us, but known, controlled, and chosen by Christ Himself. What we cannot control and we could never choose, the Lord has mercifully done for us. i learned myself painfully. Painfully. When my father died, and I knew it was it was the best. He was suffering. I was not ready. I called myself ready intellectually. I knew I had prepared, spent years and years and years preparing for this. There was no preparation. It was worthless. There was none at all. None. When the moment comes, it's just shocking. Shocking to humans. Praise God that He chooses. Because I would never turn loose. If it was left up to me, those I love, I would keep forever. If they're left up to you, you would keep them forever. Even if what they inherit is far is infinitely greater than what they lose. They give up refuge, ref, refuse. They gain refuge. and we would keep them in the garbage pit. Anxiety cannot rule over rule us if we surrender every moment, every life to the Lord. However, the author's statement does not end with the infinite sovereignty of God. We're reminded that after death comes judgment. All human beings will be judged by Christ. Some receiving mercy at the bema seat. Others condemnation at the great white throne of judgment. Here's the issue is this. Is that while we can look at this world and see its brokenness, more often than not what we do is rationalize our own response to the brokenness. I did the best I could. I've spent my life doing the best I could. What I've really done spent my life doing what I wanted to do and trying to blame God for it. Living how I wanted to live, reacting how I wanted to react, saying what I wanted to say, doing what I wanted to do, and trying to drag God in the midst of my sin. But the reality is this, that even in the midst of all this, justice reigns. God's justice is absolute. He will have justice. Because God is infinitely perfect. And one of those infinitely perfect aspects of His infinitely perfect character is that infinitely perfect justice. It's tempered by mercy. Through the gospel. Through the proclamation of the Word of God. So that men and women have no excuse. Through the created order that even though it is marred by sin still declares His glory. You can't get away from it. But justice is still there. He doesn't turn a blind eye to it. He doesn't encourage sin and rebellion. He judges it. He's so infinitely good that his justice has to reign. When speaking to the church in 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Church, he speaks to the church, the mercy seat of Christ Is a place where the church will answer for their lives, for moments of great faithfulness and shameful waste of time. Look, while it's going to be a sober moment, it will be. Your book will be open, church. You will have to answer for selfishness as I will, for laziness and apathy as I will. We'll have to answer. We don't get away scot free. What does he say? Paul sums it up for us in 1 Corinthians 3:15. Paul talks about the see three separate times in both Corinthian letters and the 14th chapter of the book of, of, of Romans. Paul's pretty clear about this issue. In 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 3:15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. So church, we will be judged. Live your life as if it's being judged. Don't live your life as if now, under the blood of Christ, you can do what you want to. Because that is a lie. God promises judgment to His people. He wouldn't be just if He didn't. Justice prevails in the house of God and all will answer for their lives. However, the more striking truth is in the fate of those who are not prepared for the inevitable day of death. John records the truth of Scripture in Revelation twenty, verses eleven through fourteen. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. It is so terrifying, this throne, that the creation flees from it. It has to be frightening if the sky is fearful. In verse twelve and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. See the people in this world right now, maybe some in this room at this very moment, who will try to stand before God based on what they have done. They have thought to themselves, Maybe I have lived good enough. To please God. When he has clearly said that without the Spirit of God, there is no pleasing God. Your life lived under the flesh is nothing but an offense to God. There is no doubt about that. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it death, and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done again. Again, the dead judged by what they had done. Then finally, then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. When we speak in our culture of hell, of a sinner's hell, we speak of the lake of fire. The eternal state of rebels. Of those who thought they could go it on their own. Who refused The love of Christ is extended by way of the gospel. Who refused the finished work of the cross. Where Jesus pays for sin eternally. Look, rightful judgment and holy fire await those who rely on their own righteousness to satisfy the justice of God. The final place of everlasting retribution from the Lord is the lake of fire. The most frightening concept in the scriptures. Look mercifully... Hebrews nine twenty six explains. As, as Billy Graham just once, said, when he talked about hell, said he said there, he talked about hell. But he said there's a loophole. Wow, gave hope to hundreds of thousands of people when he said hell's absolute, but there's a loophole. The loopholes in the cross. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 9 26. The writer says that Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Your sin required a sacrifice. Either you will give it in hell eternally, or Christ would give an eternal sacrifice in, a, in an instant on the cross. Christ hung for a finite amount of time but because of the infinite righteousness of the infinite God who assumed human flesh in order to pay for your sins, because of that, now an eternal debt is forever met by God Himself. Jesus died so that you could have life. He came at the end of the ages to die for you. What was needed, a final sacrifice for sin, was given by Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And now all hope and every promise is bound up in the Savior, as the writer says in verse 28. So Christ, having been once, offered once, to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Because the blood of Christ has been applied to your life, you now have the privilege of living a life of eager waiting We can't wait for our Lord to come. The answer to judgment and fire, to justice and infinite retribution was founded at Golgotha and given by faith to those who believe the gospel. Fear the eternal consequences of sin. Please fear sin. Sin is real. It's an offense to God. And you know this creation declares this. In the depths of your heart, you realized this long ago. You can act like it's not true. You can act like it's not real. But that doesn't make it less real. It is real. Turn your back on the way of this world. Stop trying to please an infinite God. In a wicked and finite world, because it just simply won't work. Repent of sin. Believe in Christ. You'll be saved from the inevitability of the fires to come. The end's real, folks. Judgment is real. And your only hope is in Christ. And I plead with you today submit your heart to the gospel and be saved. Don't walk out of this room depending on yourself. Don't walk out of this room in denial. But while you are here, while the Word is fresh and the Spirit is upon you, I beg of you to repent of your sins and to believe the Gospel today. Let's stand together and pray.